Uh, welcome to the end of our marriage series. Guys, I, I just got to tell you that uh, I think you know this, but I, I love preaching about marriage. I wish we could do it 52 weeks of the year, but... Um, yeah, so I love to talk about marriage. Um, guys, uh, just so you know, the end of this, just because the marriage series is over. Look, we want to help you. We want to love you through your marriage. We want to walk through your marriage with you. And so one of the best, best tips of advice that I got when, uh, when, when we first got married was find a couple that can mentor you. And uh, there are plenty in this church. Uh, you saw a few in that video. Uh, my wife and I would love to, to be that for you. Uh, she's not in here, so I can say that. Uh, we would love to be that for you. Uh, so just because our marriage series is ending doesn't mean we end the conversation, okay? And we've been uh, tagging hashtag contenders throughout this series. And uh, we want you to do that even after the series is over. We want to know how your marriage is working. We want to know how you're making it work. Uh, like DeAndre said, through tough times, how you stick together and look to God. We, we want to hear all that. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I could say is just date your spouse. Uh, put your phone away, leave it in the car, whatever you got to do, but uh, uh, date your spouse, uh, go on vacation with them, those kind of things. Um, can we start uh, by just reading the Bible together, reading a few verses together? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along a number of ways. Uh, we'd love for you to have one, uh, to, to bring a Bible with you. Um, but if you don't have one, you can follow along with us a, a number of ways. You can follow along on your phone. Uh, there are plenty of Bible apps. One of them, which is one of our favorites, is the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, and we, sh we put all of our stuff up there every week. And so if you search under events on YouVersion, and you'll see Restore Church, and you can follow along with all my notes, uh, and you'll see what we're talking about there. Uh, you can follow along on the, on the Restore Church app. Uh, pull up Restore Church app, and you'll see uh, the bulletin section. You click on that, and you'll see uh, this week's sermon and, and all of our announcements. The songs that we sing are up there, so if you're unfamiliar with them and you like one, you can look it up on Spotify. Or you can follow along on the, uh, on the screen. Uh, so we're going to read quite a few verses Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians has so much to say about marriage. Uh, it talks about sex. We talked about that a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it talks about what happens when, a, when someone becomes a Christian and the other person in your marriage isn't a Christian. What happens when they leave? Or what happens when they say, I'm not going to leave? Um, and, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, though, although it has a lot to say about marriage, it has a lot to say about not being married. And so uh, let's, let's read through. We can't read through the whole chapter because there's a lot. So in your own time, on your, make that your homework uh, to read chapter 7 tonight before you go to bed. Here, here we go. Let's read through. Um, I'm going to read through a couple. Uh, this screen's going to pick up at, at verse 7. Okay. Now for the matters you wrote about, they wrote... To, to Paul, they said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And Paul says in, chapter, in verse 2, But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, talking about sex, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Verse 5, do not deprive each other. Again, talking about sex. Except perhaps, don't be elbowing your wife, guys, okay? This is not the right time. 
Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for only a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as command. Here we go. We're going to pick up right here. Verse 7. I wish, though, that all of you were as I am. Each of you has your own gift from God. Paul's alluding to himself being single. And he says, I I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Verse 8, now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We're going to skip down a few verses, so if you follow along with In your Bible, just skip to verse 17. Nevertheless, Paul says, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised, which is impossible. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they're in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do it. For the one who was a slave when called to faith, who was free when called in Christ, um, hold on, verse 22. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was, who was free when called is Christ's slave. Verse 23, look here. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Okay, one more big section. Uh, It's three or four verses. Verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern, Paul says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, Lord, help us. A young man in his mid-twenties, he's chosen to be single. He desires, first of all, to work on his relationship with Jesus, his college career. He wants to spend time investing in meaningful relationships. His current desire right now is to pray for God to bring about the right woman for him. Single. A couple, they kiss goodnight, they turn their opposite ways to go to bed. Only for the woman to wake up to an otherwise healthy man who had an aneurysm in his sleep. And just like that, single. A husband says goodbye to his wife as he leaves for deployment to serve our country. Only to come home to find that she hasn't reciprocated his loyalty. And she's found fulfillment in someone else's arms. Single. Why should we as a church talk about singleness? 
Well, there's a number of reasons. I think when we talk about singleness, the very first picture that comes to to mind is the first person we describe, the person who's chosen to be single, early, mid-20s, mid-30s, mid-40s, who cares, but the person who's decided to be single. And honestly, for weeks, week after week after week, I've been telling you, hey, we're going to talk about singleness, invite your single friends. And so, hey, if you're here, you've never been here before, and all of a sudden your friends were like, hey, you should come to church on December the 9th, it's because you're single. All right. And, and that's OK. You'll find that out. That's OK. Uh, actually, we you're you're welcome here. We love you. We're glad that you're here. We want this to be your home. Uh, that was a joke. You are more than your singleness. OK, um, but that's why you're here. Um, I started to think about, though, the single people in my life. And a lot of them haven't chosen to be single. They're single because they're a widow or a widower. They're single because of a lack of loyalty, either on their part or their spouses. They're single because the way that life rolls sometimes. Um, They're single because uh, for a number of reasons. Why single out singles? Why preach to our single people? Well, one, because married people, you're spoiled. The whole culture's for you. The whole world's for you. And we just spent four weeks talking about how to be married. Okay, but we're also talking about singles because like we've already mentioned, you could be single tomorrow. And as morbid as it is to think about, and we don't want to think about it, it really makes us invest in our spouse today because you you may not know what's going to happen tomorrow. Another reason we're talking about singleness is if you've um, spent any time around Restore Church, you know that we don't shy away from what the Bible says. Matter of fact, we tried to preach a whole sermon about Revelation in one sermon. It didn't work out so well, but we tried it. We tried it, didn't we? Um, We don't shy away from what the Bible talks about. If the Bible talks about it, we talk about it. And so 1 Corinthians, when you read through it, it talks about mainly about how to be single. How do you be single in our culture. Yeah, I heard a single person go, ha ha. <laughs> right, like our culture is not created for single people. Well, let me say it this way. Our culture is not created for single Christ followers. <laughs> if we're going to look at how to be single, let's look at God's word. Um, because honestly, it's the only place to look. You look anywhere else and you're single, it's going to tell you just turn to Tinder for a relationship. You turn on the TV, you're going to see a commercial for FarmersOnly.com or people who can't dance but are single.com. Our Christian culture has gotten involved in trying to get single people married with ChristianSingles.com. Now listen, those sites aren't bad. But for a single person, where are you to turn in a culture that's just trying to get you married or is trying to benefit your family or it's all about family? And look, we are all about family here. If you're single, you're a part of our family. You're a part of this family. But man, our our culture isn't created for single people. And single people, here's what you need to know. Before, this isn't a part, I mean, I've written it in here. This is not what the sermon's about. Um... But I want to speak to something that our culture is trying to push pretty hard and is not shying away from. Look, I don't know how else to say this. Stop having sex before you get married. Don't move in together before you get married. 
And here's why. Here's why. Look, if you've done that, you can't change it. Like, I, I've, I had sex before I got married to Aaron, not with Aaron, but before. You can't change it. But here's, other than all of the other things that you hear in middle school, you know, STDs, STIs, pregnancy, if those aren't enough for you, I don't know that I can get through to you, except for God's word says it. Here's another thing. You start having sex before you get married, okay? It's going to be awesome. Like there's, sex will mask a lot of things. When you get married together, well, I, I don't know about you. You might have stronger self-control than I do. You, you saw the verse that says it's better to get married than to burn with passion. Um, well, that's just kind of tough. But if you can do it, I, I, I don't know how that works. But uh, you also mask a lot of problems, right, with sex. And uh, I'm not saying that sex before marriage will lead to divorce, but exponentially high, you have an exponentially higher rate of divorce of people who are having sex before they get married other than virgins who are. So here's what I want to say to you. If you're in that boat right now, stop. Just stop. If you need help, uh, I think, I, I don't know if I can help you, but here's the best way. Keep your clothes on. Okay. All right. Not trying to be funny, but seriously, it's hard to do with your clothes on. Actually, impossible. Anyway. Let's see what God's word has to say about being single. I've already told you what not to do. Let's see what God's word does say to do. That was serious. I was trying to be serious. It's hard for me to talk. Well, no, I'm serious. Just stop. Um, all right, say gift. Gift. All right, gift. Um, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He has changed my mind about how I think about singleness. Paul, which is a good place. The Bible should change your mind. And this is what it says. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift. Another has that gift. Um, the first thing that Paul mentions, he's written 13 letters in the New Testament, and the only time he talks about singleness, the first thing he mentions is that singleness is a gift. Say gift. It's a gift. He says that it's a gift from God. Now, sometimes when I talk with single people, I hear uh, a tone of that their singleness is a punishment. God, why would you do this to me? God, didn't I serve you enough, right? Or they see their, their singleness as a lack of favor, right? God is in favor of all of these other people. He's blessing all of these other people, but not me with a spouse. Some just see it as a waiting period. Like, okay, once I get to this certain point, God will bless me with a spouse. Or once I finish working on this thing in my life, God will give me a spouse. But the Bible doesn't call it a punishment or a waiting period or a lack of favor. Paul calls singleness a gift. Now, I've never thought about singleness as a gift. I've never thought about singleness because I just get depressed thinking about it because I can't be alone in my car without like feeling some kind. I'm just that way. I don't know about you. Um, when my kids uh, and my wife, they like go somewhere for a weekend, um, I go to sleep at like 730. I hate being alone. It's just draining. Some of you are like, that sounds like vacation. 
I hate it, man. I just, I just hate being by, my, by myself. Um, but anyway, uh, that's got nothing to do with the sermon. Um, oh, other than I don't think about singleness that often. But I, I never thought about singleness as a gift. Have you? Single, single people, have you thought about your singleness as a gift that God has given to you? I started to think about the idea of a gift. Um, and here's, here's, there are three things that bring value to a gift that I came up with. I don't know if all, there's probably more, but here's three things that I came up with. Uh, so here, what brings value to your gift? The first is the giver. Uh, the second thing that brings value to your gift is the heart behind you know, the motive. When I was a little kid, my uncles got me a Barbie doll for Christmas. And uh, because I have sought the approval of people since like 30 seconds after being born, uh, I went to the basement and cried for the rest of Christmas. It's like, <laughs> take that. Now they, they like feel bad and uh, whatever. Anyway, they got me a Barbie for Christmas. That's not cool, you know, unless you're into Barbies, then that's fine, whatever, you know. Not trying to offend you. Here's the third one, which is easy, by the way. Uh, the responsibility assumed. There's value in a gift because of the giver, because of the heart behind it, and because of the responsibility that's assumed when they give it. I, I want to show you an example. This is a gift that I was given. Some of you are like, that looks like garbage. Maybe. Uh, last year, uh, some of our, in our children's ministry, um, our kids made trophies. And uh, after church one day, Bowen came up to me and he hands me this. And I'm like, uh, put it on. <laughs> Bowen said, Dad, it's a trophy. And I was like, oh, I love trophies. I said, what's this for? He said, it's a trophy because you serve God. And I was like, I didn't know they handed out trophies. Where did you get it? Um, and he said, this is a trophy that, uh, that, um, for, for serving God. And I was like, man, this is the best trophy I have ever received. And so when Bowen handed me this gift, what did, what's his expectation that I'm going to do with this? Yeah, his expectation is that I'm going to take care of it, and I'm going to display it, and I do. I, it sets up in my office. Now, there have been times that I've cleaned my office, and I've organized. Not many times, but there's been a couple. And I've thought, man, that's just garbage. Right? Like, look, it's a paper plate, a little cup, like a Dixie cup. It's aluminum foil. Bo was telling me last night, he said, he was telling Sadie, my daughter. So I have a son who's about to be six, a daughter who's about to be four, which blows my mind. But they, uh, he was telling her, um, sis, this is what I did. I took a bowl, and then I took a cup and put it on top of the bowl. Then I wrapped them in, what's that thing called? Uh, aluminum full. It's like, well, that's how we say it here, aluminum full. <laughs> and I took the pipe cleaners, and I taped it, and those are the, uh, the handles. And he is so proud. I pulled this out, and I was like, I'm going to take this to church tomorrow and show everyone. And he was like, oh, really? See, when he gave me this gift, he had an assumption that I was going to take care of it, that I was going to display it, and that I was going to protect it. He gave it to me because I serve the Lord. Now, here's the thing. This has value in my life because of the giver, because of his motive for giving it to me, like, and, and because there's responsibility assumed. Now, what if you were to start to think about your singleness as a gift? Maybe this trophy. 
And uh, this trophy's been beat up a little bit this morning even. Who did this? You're fired. Um, what if you start to think about your singleness as this trophy, okay? Given by who? What did verse 7 say? Given by God, who James says is the uh, every good and perfect gift comes from God. What if you were to think of the heart behind it? He's not a mean father that would give you a snake, as Matthew says. He's a good, good father. Um, and then what about the responsibility assumed with your gift? Are you taking care of your singleness? Um, or are you tainting it and trashing it? That's a question for you to answer, not me. Um, but what if you were to start to think of your, um, your singleness as a gift? Now, I want to pause for a minute because there are some of you, us, in here who are single but don't want to be. You ever been given a gift you didn't want? Some of you were given this same gift. And you're like, oh, baby, thanks. I'm going to put this with all the other ones in the garbage. Uh, and there wasn't value in it to you. That's okay. I've done that with my kids uh, some of them, some of the gifts they give me. And uh, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about it, but if you feel bad about it, it's the Holy Spirit, okay, that you were given a gift for serving the Lord <laughs> and you threw it away. Um, but there are gifts that you get and you don't want. And this, this holiday season, you're going to get one, right? Undoubtedly, you're going to get a gift that you don't want. Don't let your face show it. But here's, here's what I'd like for you to do as a single person or as a person who gets a gift you don't want. Think about the person giving you the gift. Focus on the giver. So if you're single and it puts a bad taste in your mouth because of something that's happened or, or just because you desire to have a spouse and just hasn't worked, just hasn't happened yet, maybe you've been rejected time and time again, even though you put your heart out there, um, that gift... You may not want, and in all fairness, I, I'm not sure that I really want this, but the excitement of the giver that I still have it uh, is worth keeping it. Your singleness is, is a gift. A couple years ago, uh, God started preparing our family to plant a church even before we were ready, even before we knew it's what he wanted. Aaron and I went to uh, an alumni rally at the, one of my alma maters, and um, it was about church planting. And I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever been to, but I'm here, you know. <laughs> Maybe they'll pay off some of my student loans or something, I don't know. But uh, Aaron went to this session where they had a round table of women who were in church plants. And so they started to ask questions to these ladies. And one of the uh, words of advice that Aaron pulled from it, and, and our family has kind of hung on to this, is this, everything in your life is a season. Say season. Season. Hey, look at these uh, verses with me. It's the following verses. Um, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But, and this but is a contraction, so there's, there's some leniency here. There's some space here between that. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So if there's any Christ followers in here and you guys are, you know, having sex before you're married, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. 
And so let's talk about that maybe another time. Not right now. Not right now. Uh, can you imagine that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We can't do that. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Paul then, uh, he spends some time, some verses, 10 all the way to 16. He talks about if, if you become a Christian. All right, so let's say you're, you both are non-Christians and you become a Christian. And then the non-believer says, I'm leaving you. The Bible says, let them go. But it says that, it, but it also says, don't push them out. Don't say, hey, I'm a Christian now. You're not a Christian now. Get out of here. Because the Bible says that your, your holiness will sanctify them, meaning make them become more like Jesus. And maybe one day they will give their life to Christ. And that's our hope and our prayer. That's tough. I know and some of you don't want that advice, but it comes from Paul, not me. Verse 20, Paul, Paul leads uh, us all the way to verse 20. It says, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. See what I'm saying? Married. Uh, if you're married and God calls you to Christ, you, you stay married. Uh, he, he references slaves. If you were a slave, you can't just say, hey, owner, I'm a Christian now. I'm not a slave. You can't, like, usurp his authority. You're a slave. Just be a Christ follower in the position that you're in. Can you skip a few verses? Um, so I just want you to see, he, he reiterates this. If you're a slave, don't let it trouble you. All right, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Uh, verse, verse 24, here it is. Brothers and sisters, each person, person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in in which God called them. Can you say season again? What Paul is not saying, what Paul is saying is when you're, when you're called to follow Christ and you're married, that is not a reason for divorce. But to live that out and try to sanctify your spouse through what you do. In your position that you're in, it's not that you, you all of a sudden become a Christian in your career and you say, well, I'm a Christian, i got to get out of my career. Well, if you're doing ungodly things, they're making you maybe, but, um, but to stay in the situation that you're in. But the Bible, no doubt, talks about regularly that our situations change, right? I mean, Paul even says it. If you're, if you're unmarried, stay that way. But if you can't, then get married. So situations and seasons change. The Bible and Paul both give space for change. And so if, you, uh, if you're single, I want you to not only think about your singleness as a gift, but as a season. Now, let's be very clear. That season can end tomorrow, right? Um, that season may not end for a very long time. This season could also span for the rest of your life. But it's not necessarily the focus of the season, but it's what you're doing with the season that you're in. There's a passage that is always, it's really special to me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is given this thorn in the flesh is what scripture calls it. And uh, I don't, we don't know what it is. Some think it's blindness. Some think it's a mental, a mental health thing. Some think it's some other form of physical disability that he has. But nevertheless, uh, let's, let's start to look at verse. Can you go to the next one? Um, Let's go to verse 8. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. And the assumption through the next few verses is that God didn't. 
And so this thorn for you might be your singleness, and it might not end tomorrow. It might not end in 20 years. It might not end for the rest of your life. And you might spend the rest of your life pleading with God. Send someone. I need someone. I want someone. Paul says he pleaded for him to take it away. But, but Jesus said to me, Paul says, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul says, and because of that, I will boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 11 is really powerful too. Um, or verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Single people, I want you to look at this for a minute and marry people who may one day potentially be single, although we would hate for that to happen. This is what I want you to hear this. God, I'm begging for you to take it from me. But I hear you saying, my grace is enough for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. Now, can you stand with Paul and say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my singleness? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Can you, in verse 10, say, that's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my singleness? And in my insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Look, this isn't saying don't pray for a spouse. If that's the desire of your heart, if you want to be married, if you feel like God's leading that way, feel like you can be a holy wife, then go for it. But Paul says it's better for you to stay single. And in your singleness, in this season, it's best to focus on God's grace instead of your thorn in your flesh, in your weakness. Paul's given a thorn and he begs for it over and over to be removed. But Jesus, what we're assuming, well, not assuming, that's a bad word. What we're inferring from God's word is that he just doesn't remove it from it. And so if we're talking about a giver who has good intentions and good motives and not evil ones, then let's think about our singleness as a season to rest in. Not to stress in. Oh, that's good. Right? Not to stress about, but to, to rest in. Here's also a really quippy thing, too. Um, uh, single people, if you're taking notes uh, or, or not, um, this is something for you to remember. It's, your singleness is not a sentence to get through. It's a season to rest through. What I mean by this is, your singleness is a gift, not a punishment. So don't see this season of your life as a sentence that, God, I'm just going to live this out. This is some kind of punishment. No, no, no. It's a season to rest in, to sit through. And so this might be more applicable. This is applicable to single people. But uh, maybe you're not single and you're married. What can you substitute singleness for? If everything is a season, what can you substitute singleness for? Your depression, anxiety, your career, your, I don't know, your something. It's not a sentence. We have a good, good father. It's a season to rest in, to sit through. 
Uh, and so stop uh, in your singleness. Uh, stop looking for a spouse. Focus on Jesus. Be still and know that he is God. Uh, if you want to know how to do this, I, I, again, I've never been single in a day in my life, but here are some things that I can just try to encourage you to do. Focus on looking more like Jesus. You focus on you looking more like Jesus. Start becoming today the person you want to marry. If you want God to bring someone to you, what kind of person would you want? Start being that person. Uh, Ashley made a great point in that video. Um, if you desire to be married one day, tomorrow, start making a list. What are the characteristics that the Bible talks about that would make a good husband or a good wife? Don't compromise. Don't give up on those things. Here's what I encourage you to do. Find belonging in this family. Find companionship and deep relationships with the people that are sitting in front of you, behind you, and next to you. Uh, one writer says it this way, A solitary life is not his plan for us, whether we're married or single. And trust that God's plan's better than yours. Isn't that tough? That's hard to do in any time, not just being single. Right? You get fired from your job. Uh, someone gets promoted over you that didn't deserve it. Uh, you just got orders and you don't want to leave because Restore's awesome. Right? Um, can you trust that God's plan for you is better than the plan that you have? Uh, your season might end tomorrow with a spouse, and I would love to do your wedding. Uh, I, I love doing weddings. I love weddings. They're the best. Uh, what's best is, no, no, it's the best. I love weddings, man. It's so good. Um, it's always just special to me to watch people get married, because uh, then I just think about my wife and uh, how special that is. But um, your spouse, your, your, your season of singleness might end tomorrow. And we will celebrate with you. Your season of singleness may end when Jesus comes back. And you will experience a longing for Jesus that I can't. And that embrace between you and him will be so much more special than any of us married people can imagine. And Paul will talk about that in just a minute. So, Roger, my singleness is a gift. My singleness is a season. What should I do right now with my singleness? Can you say devote? Devote. Oh, you guys were not excited about that one like you were the other ones. That's all right. You're forgiven. Um, devotion. All right, let's try again. Say devote. Devote. Yeah. I caught you off guard with the devote one. The other ones you guys were ready for, right? Okay. Look at these verses with me. It's the last passage of Scripture we'll read. It says, I would like you to be free from concern. So Paul's now trying to explain why be single. I'd like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he... Uh, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Like, how can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How, can, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. True. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and in spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please 
her husband. Verse 35. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. Look at this. An undivided devotion to the Lord. What should we do in this season? Really, what should we do in every season of our life? We should do our best to live in an undevoted, uh, undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul, in that section that we skipped, that we skipped, he, he goes on to say, "Look, if you get married, that's not bad." He says it's not a sin to be married, and it's not bad or a sin to be unmarried. Paul just says, "I think it's better to be unmarried than married." And he says, because men, you can focus completely on God. You don't have divided attention. Women, because you can be devotedly, or, uh, devoted completely to God, and you don't have a divided attention. So what does this passage tell us about what to do in the season of singleness? Display the hope that you have. In the meantime... In this season, not only should you rest, you should get to work. Display the hope that you have in Jesus. You have hope, not misery. That might be hard to hear and it might be hard to see. You have a life that is worth displaying and showing despite what you think about your worth. You are worthy. We want to see it. Like, show us the hope. You have a testimony that I can't live, and I want to be a part of it. And the people behind you, in front of you, and next to you, they, they deserve to see the hope that you have and how you're displaying it in a world that says you should get married. And you say, no, sir or ma'am, the Lord says I don't have to. <laughs> so take your Christian singles.com and, and log into your own account. Lydia Brownback says it this way. As we rest in Christ and trust in the goodness of God, the loneliness of being single is transformed into an opportunity to build up the whole body of Christ. In other words, we can serve and glorify God not despite our singleness, but by virtue of it. I love that. Um, single people, you have value, you have value here, you have value in the kingdom, you have value to God. And you have an opportunity that married people do not have, and that is to live with an undivided devotion to the Lord. But isn't that what God calls all of us to? Doesn't he call all of us to an undivided devotion to the Lord? I think of passages that say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It doesn't put a status on that married or single. I think of passages in Jeremiah that says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It doesn't say whether you're single or you're married. I think of passages in James that says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And isn't that what he calls all of us to? To draw near to the Lord to seek him with all of our hearts, to pursue righteousness so that we might be filled. Uh, look, thanks for sticking with us through, through, the, through the Contender Series. Single people, thanks for hanging out with us and listening. And uh, Married people, I, I hope you got something from today too.
But I think one thing that we can all pull from it is that we serve a God who is worth our, the best we can, our undivided devotion. Um, one passage that was shared in uh, my Wednesday life group. If you're not in life group, man, you, you should. Uh, so I'm the pastor, okay, right? Uh, that comes with a whole lot of glory uh, and prestige, you know? Like I get a piece of mail that say Reverend Roger. I'm like, they get it. They know what's up. Um, but here's one of those things is that I know all the answers, okay? So I know, you know... But I was in life group this Wednesday, and I didn't know any answers. I'm like, Lord, what's happening, man? Well, it was me and you. You well, kind of let me down here. There are times when you're a pastor that you're just empty. Uh, like we, me and Kendra and all the volunteers that are teaching your kids. Uh, Sasha, who's pouring into your, your teenagers. Man, we, like it is our life call, and it is the joy of our life to pour ourselves out. We love it. And, and I can't tell you the joy that you get when someone is like, when, when it just clicks or, or someone's like, man, I, I, I want to follow Jesus now. Or someone who's like, man, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and I'm going to treat my wife the way that Jesus loved the church. I had to tell you that, that brings me most joy. Or, or a wife who says, you know, I haven't really, my husband's been trying and I haven't really respected him too much. It's like, but I'm going to do it now. We pour and we pour and we pour. One of the dangers of that is we go so often and so fast. And so what I don't want you to hear is we want to invest in you. So don't, don't stop, right? Don't, don't stop. But one thing that we have to do is we have to find avenues for people to invest back into us. Um, because otherwise you just get tired and you're ready to be done. And then, then you get cynical and that's not fun. Um, so this, this past week, we're in life group, and uh, I don't know that, I've, that I'd quite reached the cynical part, but I was like, just kind of spent, just kind of done. And one of the ladies in our life group, she said this verse, and this is the one I want all of us to take. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Paul's preaching his, I mean, Jesus is preaching his longest recorded sermon. It's called Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the needs of your life. What, what, what do you need? I mean, God clothed the birds of the air, right? The lilies of the field. Matthew chapter 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these needs will be supplied for you. I pray that that's the verse for your life. I certainly want it to, to be mine. And when she said that to me, man, it was just like all of the pouring out just got refilled like immediately. And so I, I hope, man, that that can be um, an anthem for you. Your marriage, your singleness, your career, your, your, your devotion to the Lord. Um, let's pray. Uh, God, we love you. Um, give us courage. Some of us in here need courage for more than just being single. Some of us need courage to break addiction. To, some of us need courage to speak truth, to ask for forgiveness, to, I don't know, 
to seek you first. That's tough. So give us courage, God. Um, That's what we're begging for. Give us humility to look at your word and to commit ourselves to it. God, in all things, like we, we want to serve you with our lives. We want to bow in front of you out of reverence. And we want with our lives to display your glory, whether it's through our, our marriage or our parenting or our, our, our singleness. God, let Jesus be our example always. Oh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's one thing we're going to start doing uh, here at Restore. Is, uh, we're going to start doing everything here at the end uh, together. Uh,